Welcome on in Thanksgiving Eve on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us. DJ and PK coming at you. Appreciate your listenership. A lot of football. Jazz play tonight. Some basketball, too. Gonzaga, man, did you see those guys last night? He's kicked a crap out of UCLA. Very, very impressive for the nation's number one team. St. Mary's with a win over Oregon. Not sure what BYU feels about that since they'll play St. Mary's a couple of times and then they beat Oregon. Maybe Oregon isn't as good. But let's get to football. BYU's got a big game coming up. And we're going to hear from BYU linebacker Max Tooley right now. Max, no defender wants to go through a targeting process. You've had to deal with it. What's that like? What's it like both when it happens and then also when you look back on it? Um, you know, I mean, college football in this day and age, uh, I mean, that happens. You, you see targeting calls most honestly at least once a game I feel like but I mean for me it was it was kind of a, a sad one for me I was really looking forward to playing the rest of that game uh, feeling really good out there so I mean it, it, it I mean in my head when I when I was actually committing the targeting uh, penalty felt like a clean hit um, and you know that's, I don't know that's the feeling I've gotten throughout my career of football you know when you have a good hit but I mean the rest the rest saw it a different way so um, you, you can't really argue with that um, and you kind of just have to deal with that and uh, go on go on with life and just keep a positive outlook so talk about getting ready for USC this week and their offense obviously lots of talent there what do you see what challenges do you expect from them yeah, I think, you know, USC is one of those teams where, you know, their record doesn't really say say it all. Um, there are a lot of teams like that in the Pac-12. You never really know what you're going to get um, coming into those games. But obviously what we all know is that, you know, they have great talent. Um, they've had, you know, a tradition of winning. Um, so regardless, you know, playing in the Coliseum, it'll be a good game. Um, no, matter, no matter who's playing, no matter, you know, what's what's going on um so i think that's how we've been preparing this week is you know they're a a pac-12 team a really historically a really good team and they have the talent this year to be a great team as well um so i think we're just taking it um as we would any other game that we know is going to be a dogfight alex and then jay max um the the BYU athletics program is doing a lot of winning right now. All you know, it's you guys, it's men and women's basketball. It's like all over the gamut. What's it like, kind of just being, you know, part of of a school right now where, in terms of sports, like everything is going so well, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, it's a special it's a special place for athletics. Uh, I think it's definitely shifted in the last three or four years since I've been here. Um, you know, certain sports have had success in the past and, you know, BYU football's had their off off years and whatnot. But I feel like, you know, getting the first taste of really uh, a successful all around uh, school athletic program, um, it's been really it's been special to be a part of, uh, you know, especially having friends on other sports teams and being a member of the, the track team and knowing the the cross country runners that are winning nationals and watching them and supporting them. you know, it's a, it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to be a part of in, in Provo right now. And you mentioned, um, you know, when you unfortunately were called for the targeting penalty that when you actually made the tackle that it felt clean, when you were going back and looking at the film, was there any part of you that was like, man, maybe it wasn't so clean. I mean, 
I mean, my pride tells me still no, but everybody else tells me, yeah, by definition, yeah, it was a target. I mean, it, that's the thing with the rules. It's very subjective. And, you know, each hit, I mean, if you, if you slow down each play, I'm sure there's a target on most plays um, that are just overlooked. So, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't really do much there. But, yeah, I, I realize uh, there are things that I could have done differently, um, leading with my shoulder and whatnot, that, you know, in, in, in the future I, I hope to implement that um, so I can stay in the game. So, yeah. Jay, go ahead. Hey, Max, of all the storylines Saturday, one is the, the staying undefeated against the Pac-12 how important is that to you guys, the players? Um, I mean, it would be a really cool feat um, to do, especially in a year like this, coming from, you know, playing a, an independent schedule. It's, you know, we haven't had that, um, even this, these opportunities in the last couple of years. We've played a couple of Power 5 teams here and there, a couple of Pac-12 teams, but, you know, to, to really play most, like a good majority of the Pac-12 teams and, uh, um have a winning record in general is really impressive but not I think we don't look as much into that as uh you know fans or you know Twitter people on Twitter but I, I mean uh, come the end of the year if we're 6-0 against the Pac-12 obviously that's a, a great accomplishment for everybody on the team and we'll all hold our heads high for that so yeah you guys feel like you've already validated that last season was no fluke by what you've done this season? Or do you feel like there's still more to prove? I mean, yeah, it's hard to say when the, when the season's not quite over yet, there's still a lot that could happen um, in the next couple games, uh, especially closing out the regular season this week. But overall, I mean, there were, there were a lot of doubters. Um, and I think, I think we've done, we've, we've held up on our, our, on our end, sorry, um, to kind of, you know, prove that last year wasn't what people were saying it was. People saying it was a cupcake schedule or whatnot, whatever things they wanted to say about it. Um, I think we proved that we, we could handle even losing guys and still play good against an arguably much better schedule, one of our hardest schedules of all time, I'd say. Okay, we'll do last questions from Mitch and then Jake. Max, how much uh, maybe pressure you feel to to be that leader uh, of the the linebacking unit and with Peyton and of course Keenan's been gone for a while, but uh, with Peyton officially out for the remainder of the year, how much just pressure do you feel on your shoulders to to lead that linebacker unit now going forward? I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely a lot has changed over the course of the season, especially when you think back to you know the first week we had Keenan, we had Peyton. Um, we had great leaders in that room and we, I mean, we still do. I think that's the underlooked aspect of our linebacker room is most of us have been, I mean, I've been, this is my fourth year at BYU, uh, three or four, maybe even five of the other guys have been here for three or four years. And, um, I think we've all been around the program enough to, to expect these, uh, you know, sudden changes in the season and, uh, kind of just, you know, step into place where we need, where we're needed. Um, I think especially being a linebacker um, in this, you know, a little bit thinner defense than we had, you know, four, three or four months ago. Um, 
linebackers are arguably one of the biggest leaders of the defense. So yeah, it comes with a, a lot of responsibility. Um, but I think everybody has handled the you know the situation really well, and you know we're 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 overcoming the adversity when it comes. Also, you picked the, the swig jacket over the the bullpups. <laughs> Honestly, I was just given this jacket. I was lucky. Everybody wanted the swig jacket, so. Thanks, Max. Yep. Max, uh, you're a guy that's from Utah, but USC's a big name. A lot of guys, I think, for, on your team are from California, but were you a USC guy growing up at all? I mean, I personally, I had no interest in USC. I mean, all my uh, focus and attention was basically on the in-state schools, especially BYU, a little bit of Utah. But, I mean, I never really had aspirations to play anywhere outside of Utah, especially in California. So, I mean, obviously, I, I looked up at them, you know, especially in my childhood, watching guys like Reggie Bush and these other uh, greats coming through USC. They're obviously one of those teams that you regard very highly. Uh, for me, it wasn't ever uh, super attractive to me, and they didn't recruit me anyway, so they didn't want me. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's understandable. I just also wanted to ask you, in terms of playing at the Coliseum, it's one of those iconic venues in college football. You looking forward to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's when when you think of college football stadiums and the, the big ones, I, I love to say that I played at Tennessee, honestly, at Neyland Stadium. That was a really good experience for me. But, yeah, the Coliseum is one of those – historically awesome places to play. That's all I've heard. So I'm excited to get in there and play for my first time there. So that was Max Tooley. All right, let's do some Ute stuff. Coming up next, we got Frank Dolce. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their final game of the regular season as they look to stay undefeated against Pac-12 opponents with a game in the Coliseum against USC. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join Jake and Ben Friday, 10 to noon, at the Hot Tub Factory Outlet Black Friday Sale in Draper. It's next to Cowabunga Bay. 12101 Factory Outlet Drive. 121st South Factory Outlet Drive. Time to welcome in Frank Dolce on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Frank, good morning. Hey, DJ. Hey, PK. Uh, if, I, if I forget to mention it, I'll mention it up front, but... I hope you guys both have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Well, right back at you. Happy Thanksgiving, Frank. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, PK. Yeah. You like you're my guy. You know you're my guy. <laughs> and we're you know we share the South Bay roots. And but I was super offended by your Goldilocks segment about <laughs> half an hour ago. Nice. <laughs> what particularly did you find offensive? See, he's a little hair change. Well, like I, I like these. Like <laughs> I had no control. I have no control 
you know, over my hairline. Now I shave it now because if I grew it in, I'd look like Ronald McDonald or something. But, but, but then, <laughs> you know, the guys that don't have to manage this issue, you know, like I'm proud of my hair and <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'd be, and then I think you said something along the lines of, I'd be really depressed if I lost my hair. I would, so, man. I, I only like got one or two things going on, and my hair is one of them. <laughs> and I can't mention the other. Hey, bro. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm only good at three things, right? So I, I you know, it, I'll just tell you from personal experience. Uh, early, uh, it is. It is depressing. Yeah. At one point, you. Just, I'm really depressed. This is not depressing. I mean, there's lots of other things that that could be challenging, and this isn't this isn't one of them. So, but it, but at that moment when you realize, when I realize, like, oh, that's it. I, there's no coming back from this. Oh, and exactly. I my head. Yeah, I had yeah. A, I had a friend who pretty much was bald at like 23, 24, and he gets married, and. Married, obviously, uh, he was young, married a gal his age. And because of his hair loss, there were people who actually thought that was his daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the hair loss is like, if you go Frank and you just go aerodynamic, Jordan made bald beautiful years ago. Yeah, but that was a choice. And so, right, but now if you do it and you got the good look and Frank's sharp dresser, right, and he stays fit, he's clearly oh, yeah, a former athlete, so you, you got it going on. Fine. But you can't do anything when the whole world looks at you like, you freak, you're dating someone, <laughs> you married, dating or married someone who looks like your daughter, like, uh, my hair fell out. That's exactly what it was. I mean, they were the same age. Yeah, they're the same age. They met in college. That really, that really sucks. That crosses the line. I know, I know. Yeah, well, no, nobody, nobody doesn't like Jordan. I mean, he, his was the classic. Yeah. Like that. I'm, I'm that go, I may do it and have a little earring, too. You should. Yeah. You played it right regularly. though, Frank. You just you just pivoted and moved on. You made it work for you. Next. Look at you. You're on yeah. TV. You're doing a radio. You got the career going. Oh, he's on TV. I remember I used to be on TV. You will be again one day. <laughs> you watch. <laughs> Frank, let's get right to it now. Your Utes. Is that the best win since Alabama? Have you felt that good after a game since Bama? Maybe when they went up in Eugene a few years ago and put 60 on them? Maybe the well, Stanford upset? Good, yeah, that, the Stanford upset, uh, I think, was a tremendous win for Utah. So I, I'd put that one up there. I wouldn't put Alabama as high. I mean, in terms of uh, recognition and the win and the big moments, but to, to be completely honest, I think only one team was really engaged in that football game uh, against Alabama, and it wasn't Alabama. So, I, you know, I, th- I think there was a little bit of the way that, that Coach Saban managed that. And, you know, I'm certain he, that was a learning experience for him. But, uh, but Utah certainly in that game came out ready to go, and, and the other team did not. But I think for, for kind of everything that was at stake in this one, this seems like I, I'm, I might put this one um, right at, at the top. Uh, and the way that Utah played and the way that Utah managed that game, 
uh, with just a dominating effort. I, I was a little surprised uh, because I thought uh, Oregon would be more game and Utah just beat them up right at the line of scrimmage and, and Oregon could never get on track. So, but that, that also goes back to my thought about I'm a little surprised that Oregon didn't, hasn't taken another loss prior to this game. Like, I've watched Oregon play almost every game this year, and I have not been overly impressed by that team. I mean, I thought it was like kind of a weird one-loss team. So, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm not certain that team would have really made any noise in the playoff. I, for the Pac-12, I would have liked to have seen that team go, but, but it feels to me like it, it could have been a kind of a blowout in a playoff scenario, and that doesn't really bode well for the Pac-12 either. So, no. anyway, I think this, this game certainly right up there at the top for Utah. Yeah, no question about that. I agree with you. As I look at Cam Rising, I can't help but be more impressed. And I've been on his bandwagon, so I'm going to keep running it because it makes me look smart. And if I got one or two things that makes me look smart, I'm going to just latch onto it and never let go. Uh, but the thing I look about him, you know, he's not overwhelming in really anything. But there's a couple of plays early, like third and five, and he goes back. And the pocket is sort of collapsing a little bit, not entirely, but he picks up the first downs, and it's almost like it goes unnoticed. Uh, he'll he'll scramble when it's the right time, and if he needs five, he'll get you six. You know, if he needs nine, he'll get you ten. Whatever it is, and as I look at him, as I identify him as a quarterback, nothing really stands out. Like, wow, this kid is just. Andrew Luck size or who John Elway arm or whatever, but yet he gets the job done game after game. And I think the thing that I might be most impressed about it with him is just his poison composure to make whatever play needs to be made. And even though it doesn't look like it's incredible, it adds up to a touchdown. You're a quarterback yourself. Evaluate what I said. So his Ability to, to be steady under all different circumstances, I think, is his big secret. Like, he's not, he's not overwhelming in, in any of those areas. Like, he's not athletic like a Cam Newton, and he doesn't have a rocket arm like an Aaron Rodgers. Um, but, he, but, but the things that he does... Uh, he does really well. He's like above average in all of the areas, above average arm strength, above average athleticism, way above average in the ability to remain calm under pressure, to, to keep his head about him under pressure or under that he's done all year long is, I, you know, I'm sure he's done it. Um, I can't recall, though, when he's really put his team in a difficult circumstance because of a poor play or a poor decision that he's made. There have been times, and I would say Arizona is one of those times, when he hasn't seemed as sharp as he typically is or as sharp as he was maybe against Oregon. But on par, he is, he is always above average. And if you can maintain that kind of, you know, he's not a roller coaster. If you 
away from the quarterback position in this offense, then I think you're going to be really successful. He, he probably threw one or two passes in the, in the game against Oregon that, that made you a little bit nervous. Like he, he threw into pressure a couple times that may have turned the tide a little bit, um, but it didn't affect the team negatively. But over the course of the game, over the course of the season, his ability to play um, at a high level consistently, consistently, I think, is his, is his uh, kind of superpower, the way that he really excels. So the team has one turnover in the last five games. He hasn't thrown a pick since ASU, and those are the only two picks he's thrown all year long. So as much as it's above average, and there's truth to that, the fact that you only have two turnovers on 251 passes, doesn't that jump out at you? I mean, that's a great stat. If you're looking for great stats, that would be it, wouldn't it? Yes, that's extraordinary. That's, uh, I mean, that, that is way above average. So that's the thing I'm talking about is, like, he never puts his team in a, under difficult circumstances. Um, he, 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 it feels like, you know, 99% of the time he's making the right decision, whether it's to throw the ball away, whether it's to break out of the pocket and run and not risk throwing the ball downfield or, or making a play, on, you know, throwing the ball on a third down. And so I think that his ability to possess the football, the fact that Utah has um, such a strong feeling about how turnovers affect the game and his ability to manage that, and, and combined with, you know, Tavion Thomas and his ability now to control the football, he hasn't had a turnover by the way, I hope we're not jinxing the team <laughs> heading, heading into Colorado. To talk. I mean, but, but their ability to play clean, I think, is the, is, the, is the way that they've been so successful. If you can remember early in the season, um, first three games-ish in, you know, the turnovers were just killing this team. And they were on the wrong side of the turnover battle, which just isn't – isn't the hallmark of a, of a Kyle Whittingham coach team. So, yeah, turnover margin, the ability to hold on to the football. That you, you know, Utah hasn't really gotten that many turnovers on the defensive side either. No. But the ability to hold on to the football uh, is, has certainly been meaningful for the team in their, in their run lately. How much credit are you giving Ludwig for the team's success offensively this season? Oh, a whole bunch. I, I thought we – you know, I was pretty um, – I, I was – I wouldn't say I was soft on Ludwig early in the season, but I thought that the way that Utah was managing the offense early in the season didn't fit, didn't necessarily fit their personality. And that could be for lots of reasons, maybe because of the turnovers in the running game or, or, or what. But it felt like Utah was much more interested in trying to develop a passing game downfield, um, especially with Charlie Brewer, you know, running the controls. And at at some point, they figured out Coach Ludwig or the team or whatever figured out that you know we're just we're going to beat people up at the line of scrimmage. We're we're just going to run the ball, and then we're going to play action pass off of that, and that's just going to have to be good enough. And it's been more than good enough. I I it's interesting to think that uh, you know Cam Rising has been so good, but he's he's managed a different offense I think than. 
Charlie Brewer. And I'm, you know, I'm curious to think how Charlie Brewer would be playing in the same scenario. If Charlie Brewer was only throwing 18 passes in a game like Cam did against, against Oregon, he, he only threw 20 something passes the week before. And I think in the last several weeks, he's been averaging around the mid 20s in pass attempts. That's, that, you know, that's just not really how college football works these days. But that's what works for Utah, and, and I think the way that Coach Ludwig has managed it has been very, very good. Like, his ability to just say, you know what, this is what is working. We're running the ball effectively against, against Oregon, and we're just going to continue to pound on that. I'm sure that he had, you know, several passing plays lined up, passing plays that they worked on throughout the week that just never got made it to the game because circumstances didn't call for it. And so, and I think that's hard for a coordinator. I think coordinators sometimes get into this thing of, well, we worked on it, we better put it in the game. And I don't feel like Andy Ludwig has that kind of ego. He just says, let's, let's do what works, and, and that's how we're going to win football games. I think they're throwing the ball more now than they did uh, Tyler Huntley's senior year. But I also think that how much they throw the ball now has really followed the course of the game and what the game called for. When they're blowing out Oregon and Stanford, they're all about shortening the game, and he throws the ball 18 and 22 times because that thing was over, and it's shortened it, and the fewer plays are, mm-hmm. fewer chance there is for anybody to get hurt because somebody rolled up on him. Right? You don't need to lose any more offensive or defensive linemen. Let's get this thing over and get out of here. But yeah. – 30 attempts at Arizona. The game was close. 33 against Arizona State when they had to rally. 36 against Oregon State when they lose. They will air it out. I mean, they don't, they don't have a problem with that. They couldn't kill off those games just because of the way the games went. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question about it. And how about Tyler Huntley? I mean, that, uh, that uh, game the other night with the Ravens, good for him. I mean, that's a, that was a tremendous performance. But but uh, back back to Utah, uh, yeah, I I don't think Utah's afraid of, of throwing the ball, and I certainly feel like Cam uh, is capable of throwing the ball, and more importantly, uh, Utah's offensive line is much better at protecting when throwing the ball downfield, and so that was a that was an enormous concern early in the season. Quarterbacks couldn't get into the into the drop and have any sort of comfort comfort in the pocket because the pocket was always collapsing. So, uh, and and there were times in in this game against Oregon where Ham stepped back in the pocket and then he sat. I I thought Utah would employ kind of this quick passing game to negate Thibodeau, but there were a few times in the game when when Cam sat back in the pocket. He had time to read downfield. His offensive line did a fantastic job of creating a pocket and he could make that throw. So I, you know, I, as, mu- as much as I, I want to say that Cam rising is the difference in the passing game um, or even the way that coach Ludwig is calling plays or the receivers stepping forward and, you know, or getting the tight ends involved, all of that stuff's great. But the truth is the offensive line has just, just been much, much better in providing the ability to throw the ball downfield. And when you do that, I mean, that's, it's way more than half the battle if you can protect up front and give everybody else an opportunity to do their job. 
By the time next week we speak to you, we will know who the opponent is in Vegas. As of today and this week, we do not know. And there's three possibilities to face the Utes in Vegas next week. Do you care which one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that I care about that. Um, I still think that, uh, like, in terms of ma- – if I had to pick matchups, like, uh, I still think that that uh, Oregon is the most athletic team in the conference. I don't think they, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure they were ever the number three team in the country, but I think they're most the most athletic team in the conference, and they have the most dynamic players on the field who can change a game, and and they just didn't, they didn't play up to their potential. I mean, Utah was really good, and I thought Oregon um was negated by what Utah did, but I think there's a different Oregon team available. So I would put in Oregon as the most difficult matchup. Um, I would put Oregon State as the second most difficult matchup, although I think um, Utah can, can move the ball against Oregon State defensively. But, but there's still that question mark, can Utah control – Oregon State's running game. Utah certainly knew what they were up against the first time they they went to the Corvallis, but didn't manage it very well. So I think that would I would say Oregon State would be the second most difficult contest, and then I think Washington State um, is pr- provides significant challenges for Utah, but challenges I think Utah matches up well against, and so um, that's. Uh, um, I think of the three, that's the most winnable kind of game. Uh, if Utah is playing really well, I think, I think they get over Washington State with the most ease. But, but all three of those are losable games as well. I mean, I think those are, those are difficult matchups, in, in each a little bit different. So, so if I had to rank them, that's how I would put it. Is Oregon most difficult? Second would be Oregon State. Third um, most difficult would be Washington State. But it's going to be Washington State because that way the Pac-12 can have a 7-5 and team in their championship game and take... Uh, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> and take more grief nationally. Right. And it's the same logic you said the Utes will beat Oregon. Absolutely, because that'll knock the Pac-12 out of the playoffs for right. sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, if the conference can figure out how to make it as ridiculous as possible, then that, that's what the conference is is going to do, and we, I, I think we've seen that throughout this football season. I mean, how does – you guys have watched Stanford play the last several weeks. How does Oregon lose to Stanford? I don't know. How, how, does, that, how does that occur? Oregon – I mean, Stanford is terrible. Yep. Stanford, Stanford yeah. is awful. And by the way, that kind of awful Stanford team that's out on the field right now, anywhere else in the, in the country – that head coach is in trouble. Like, if, 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 if a head coach – look at what happened to Dan Mullen. If a head coach throws out a season like Stanford is throwing out right now, that head coach is on the hot seat. Yep. There, I, I, don't, I have not heard one ounce of chatter about David Shaw. And by the way, I like David Shaw. I don't want him to be in trouble. I think he's a good, he's a good fit at Stanford. But it's just interesting how the conference manages those things relative – uh, to other conferences competing in college football. Frank, as always, we appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Man, you guys are the best. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. That was Frank Dolce.
former Ute quarterback, talking about the greatness that is the University of Utah football program. We're going to do some BYU next. We'll get you Dylan Colley, former receiver. Always got stuff to say about the Cougars, particularly what they're going to do financially going forward. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After dominating Oregon and winning another South Division title, the Utes will wrap up the regular season with a showdown at Rice-Eccles Stadium against Colorado. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Friday at 1 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5. 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain's given free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. The L.A. Memorial Coliseum. Does it still hold a little allure? I know the team that plays in it is four and six. Eh. Going through a coaching change. But is there something about going to the Coliseum that's going to have all the BYU players pumped up, especially the California kids, especially the Southern California kids? Yeah, I, I, still, I still think it has a, a little piece of, you know, uh, a little piece of tradition. I don't think I don't think it has what the Rose Bowl has, you know, playing even even being able to play there. But it still uh, it still should be fun for everybody. Yeah, the way I look at it, Dylan, you got a chance to go two things beyond that that ought to get you jacked up. You got five and zero against the conference, which is way fun, and then you got yeah. ten wins. And obviously, ten is better than nine. I mean, so to go ten and two. Well, you you totally backed up what you did last year. So as I look at this thing, to me, and the Coliseum is nice and all, and SC is the brand name. Yeah. We get that, but I don't think it's going to be a big time atmosphere. It's going to be again probably a ton of BYU fans there. But I think the way I look at it is five and zero, and ten and two. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I don't think that there is a, a better close the season that you could have the opportunity to have, um, and really set yourself up for you know uh, the bowl game and and more importantly depending on what happens this offseason I think uh, going into next season you're, you're you're running with a lot of momentum you say depending on what happens in the offseason you're referring of course to make sure Kalani gets paid the assistants get paid and everything is moving forward getting ready for the big 12 yep 100% you're sweating that a little bit aren't you uh, maybe a little, a little perspiration, even in the thirty-five degree weather. <laughs> I, you know, I personally I don't understand it. Uh, you've been in the program. Your family's been in the program for years and years, uh, and you know you serve missions, so you you can walk to walk because uh, you, know, you can talk to talk because you did walk to walk. 
Uh, and they talk about this program at BYU Sports being a missionary program. And, you know, I've heard stories, so I buy it. Uh, and it's important, and, you're, and, and it's such a high-profile situation here. And here you got somebody in Sataki, a minority guy, no less, uh, for a church that's viewed as primarily white. And why not invest? It's not like you don't have the money. And it's not just about, I'm not just talking about giving him gobs of money. I'm talking about doing what what needs to be done. Because I had somebody tell me that, hey, we're concerned about making the transition to the Big 12 is going to be tough enough. But if we're going to be underfunded, it's going to be that much harder. So mm-hmm. why not fund it the way it should be funded? Because I think guys like you, media guys like me, and more importantly, Joe Fan or Joe Booster Fan, that's what they want. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, and I, to be honest with you, uh, I do genuinely believe that that is what is going to happen. I don't think that there would have been a clear invitation to the Big 12, even at this time, unless there were some situations that were maybe promised or, if this is even possible, some contractual agreements that basically say, hey, this is what we're bringing to the table. Right? We're going to make sure that we are funded. We are going to make sure that we are bringing you know, our, our piece of the pie to the conference so that you're ensuring that you don't end up like, you know, what could be, and and I'm not saying this will happen by any means, and I'm not saying that this is even close, but the last thing that you ever want to be to a conference, you don't want to be the Vanderbilt of a conference, right? You don't want to be the one that is so far off in what you're providing your football team and what you're providing the conference that you're almost a hindrance, right? And so, as I say, yeah, I am sweating, and as there is a little perspiration, a little worry, that's more so probably because I'm a very much a hope for the best, expect the worst type of person. Um, and so, you know, I fully believe in Tom. I fully believe in the athletic administration. I fully believe that Kalani wants to be there. I know that the support staff wants to be there. Um, but I also understand that, you know, this is a, a this is life, and, and things happen, and so... Would I be completely surprised? No. But I do know that Tom and Tom and team are are doing quite possibly everything that they can to make sure everyone is in place. And those situations are rolling through instead of having us kind of like you're saying, hey, why wouldn't you make sure everyone is, is taken care of going into this transition? So I guess, well, I don't think anyone has any doubt that Tom knows what needs to be done and wants what needs to be done, but there are multiple layers of bureaucracy and administration to go through, multiple yep. people to sign off on stuff, and anybody who's ever worked in a place with multiple levels of bureaucracy, and PK and I both know this because we've been in other places where it works like this, you know, there's an official way things work, and then there's an unofficial and other people mm-hmm. get to, you know, stick their thumb in the pie before it goes to the Thanksgiving Day table. Yeah. And so there's just this nagging fear that it's going to drag on. And college football, as an industry, moves at a freakishly quick pace. In other industries, Dan Mullen doesn't get fired. In other industries, Clay Helton's gone a year before, not week two. Clay's already got another job. This industry moves at a bizarro pace. Is BYU going to get caught off guard because it doesn't move at that pace? 
I think it could. I think if there is if there is a susceptible program that could get caught at that pace, absolutely. I think what they've done in the last two years, the way that they have moved, um, I think they're in a perfect position to move at the pace that is needed to be successful. Um, but you are looking at a program that very well could be caught in that kind of whirlwind, right? That they they could get slowed down. Uh, I think what they've done in the last two years, and you look at the little things, you look at what they've done for recruiting, you look at some of the immediate changes that took place even prior to, you know, offense coordinator changes and things like that, uh, and, and, you know, adjusting what needed to be done in, in regards to coaching. You look at what needed to be done in regards of, you know, the locker room for recruiting. You look at, you know, what uh, Billy Nixon, who is the player experience and, and equipment manager down at BYU, you look at what he's been able to head up and change, um, you know, to help kind of elevate this new experience at BYU. I think everybody is right where they need to be, especially with the help of the basketball and the other programs, right? They're seeing what happens and the success and the notoriety and being kind of that light on the hill that comes when you're investing and putting that money into the football program and the basketball program and the sports program and doing it at an accelerated uh, rate, you know, probably faster than it has been done in the past. And so normally, yes, that is a worry. That will always be a worry. But from what we've seen in the last couple of years, it's going to be in good shape. Yeah. I sort of believe what you think, too, that – they're not going to come this far, and I think somebody has said this, come this far just to come this far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, That's a funny line, but it's a good line. That you've come this far, and you've made, you know, just a few years ago, you had the 7-6 and six stuff, and 4-9, and things were looking bleak. Well, and we're, we're two years removed from that, but now everything is just looking up, man. So you've come, mm-hmm. you've made major strides here. And and we've seen it in recruiting with kids decommitting from other places or transferring in that were four and five stars and want to be a part of the BYU situation. So basically, man, don't blow it now. And I, I'm on I'm on board with you. I don't necessarily have any proof, but I feel like logic. Maybe it's just logic that's overriding my thought process to think that they are not going to let this thing get away. Yeah. No, I 100 percent agree. Except that a lot of other schools, the coach and the coaching staff would already have the deals and they'd already be announced. Which is very, very true. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, they still have time. They do. It's, it's not like they're up against it right now. And, yeah. and how do we know they don't have a plan and they're just waiting uh, to do what they need to do to go forward here and at their appropriate time? I mean, at the same time, it's a business. Uh, so... If you don't have to give somebody more money, why would you give them more money? You know, <laughs> and because it's not like uh, that that we know of anyway that there's been some offer made or this or that too. But because you irritate them and then they just leave when it's time to give money, by then they've already made up their mind. Something to be said for that. And I think I think that depends on the the, the personality that you're working with. Absolutely, too, totally agree. And and genuinely, I don't think Kalani's that guy. Uh, I think if, if I think Kalani, if let's say let's say worst case scenario, there hasn't even been, you know, like there hasn't even been conversation about it, right? 
uh, I think Kalani would still is is genuinely a guy that's saying, hey, let's talk about this in a couple weeks, right? Let's talk about this after USC and before the bowl game. Yeah, you know, and to me that might be like an accelerated rate for him. Um, you know, and that's it. No conversations are taking place already. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, in between that time, they came to an agreement. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even after the bowl game, right? They came to an agreement, and and that being, hey, let me not necessarily let me go look at what other options are, but let's uh, let me go see what else is out there in regards to what other people are offering me and seeing my value. Right? What do they think I'm worth? Then I'm going to come back and say, okay, understanding the situation, understanding the program, here's what I feel, here's what I've been offered by other people, and here's what I feel, you know, uh, this is what it's going to be for me to stay. And I want to stay, so I really need you to hit this number. And I really need you to hit this number for my assistant, and I really need you to hit this number for my support staff. That's what I was going to ask you about the assistance here. It's almost like we're resigned to the fact that if these assistants get another job offer, they're gone. And I wanted you to speak to the importance of an assistant coaching staff, uh, particularly in football, where they have so much more authority and responsibility is probably a better word uh, than they would do in other sports as assistant coaches. So it seems to me, you know, they've developed a staff here. And they need to do what they need to do to keep it rather than, oh, well, you got a higher paying offer at school, fill in the blank. Thanks. See you. Bye. Yeah. I think when you look at the position coaches, right, if you look at someone who is a current position coach in a football program, unless it is in, you know, an SEC school where they've already, chances are, have already had an experience in which they've been an offensive coordinator or they've been a head coach somewhere else, right? But if you look at the staff now, we still have a very, very young position coaching staff that have goals, right? Ultimately, you're being an assistant coach because you want to be a head coach. and You're not going to get hired from being a defensive backs coach or a receivers coach. No one's just going to pick you up and say, okay, congratulations, you're the new head coach, right? I think you have to look at, you know, that conversation is completely different than the conversation that the offensive and defensive coordinators are having because they're the ones that are saying, hey, I'm already an OC. I'm already calling the shots. I can already go in and make, you know, 700000 to to over a mil uh, as an offensive coordinator, and I'd love to be a head coach, but right now this is the situation I want to be in. Whereas the position coaches may say, hey, I can go and make, you know, $400,000 as a head coach at an FCS school, i.e. Betsy Sutake, who I believe, right, already has the experience as an offensive coordinator, already plays a huge role as uh, in the play calling at BYU. I think if he wanted to and go put his name out for either, you know, offensive coordinator jobs at G5 or even head coaching and offensive coordinator jobs in the FCS, He's a considerable, considerable name for those options. And so, you know, as much as he loves Kalani, as much as he loves the program and loves what he's able to do, uh, he's, you know, he's a, he's a pretty damn good football coach and could, could be considered heavily for those options. And I think that'd be something that he'd want to, to look into. 
So you have any reservations about the game at USC and uh, the way USC has lost uh, four of the last five, what BYU should be able to do, the way they ought to be able to, to move the ball? Because the SC offense will score some points. I think they've proven that even yeah. in losses. Yeah. I think as, as long as the – my only reservation is – time for reservation because you kind of hold them to such a high standard, but – it goes back to the offensive line. It goes back to Tyler Algier. I think the way that they're going to play, uh, they're going to stack the box, right? They're going to go man-to-man on the outside because generally they don't think that BYU has the athletes to play the game, and so they're going to go one-on-one all day long. And uh, I think if, if we do overpower that box and they're able to average four or five yards of carry, Uh, It is going to absolutely open up the pass game uh, for for a huge, huge day. And so, I think as long as we take advantage of that, it should be a it should be a good day. And I hope, I genuinely do. And I love our defense. I love the defensive players. But uh, I I am a I'm a big Jackson Dart fan, and I would love for Jackson to come in and you know have a phenomenal game against BYU. Not that he not that BYU, you know, did anything to him or he needed to prove everything, anything, but uh, it is fun to be able to go and, and put it on a team that, you know, you're close to and have connections to. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us right here. Dylan, have a good week. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you again after the Cougars win their 10th game. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving. There you go. That was Dylan Cauley. Coming up next, we got Watch Trending. Jazz got a game in Oklahoma City tonight. Got to get back on the winning track. And also, too, some big college basketball last night. RSL in a dogfight right down to the end with Seattle. Yeah, I'm soccer guy. I said it. I'm PK, and I'm talking soccer. Who would have thunk it? Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone.